0: The following program contains views and opinions that do not necessarily reflect those of KMRE staff or of the Spark Museum of Electrical Invention.
1: I don't want to spend each of these briefings talking about misinformation. I'm going to keep fighting as hard as I can, and I encourage everyone who's listening and watching right now to continue making their voices heard. The challenge is never in the intent and our compassion and and the, the need we're trying to address. The challenge is always in the execution.
2: There is a growing fear, I think, in this country that we are moving toward uh, what some would call an oligarchic form of society. But I do think Mexico will ultimately pay for it, and it's going to help both countries.
0: Simply put, this is un-American and unconstitutional.
1: This American carnage stops right here and stops right
2: now. Welcome to the American Carnage Report. I'm Dave Willingham, and today I'm joined by Mike Estes and Devlin Sweeney. Uh, starting off tonight, we've got, uh, once again, more than 40 white supremacists taking to the streets in Charlottesville, chanting, the South will rise again, and Russia is our friend. They hung out for a little under an hour, just long enough to draw some counter-protester activity, and then they all went home. Did you guys see that?
1: Just a bit. It, it seems, um, I saw some chatter about this earlier in the week that, that... Perhaps the tactic is, is to in, intentionally draw out counter-protesters, uh, get imagery of counter-protesters interacting with police, and then point out, well, well look, well they're violent too, or, or they're also bad. Um, and and that, that is perhaps the
0: reason to do this for th- those white supremacists. At this many people, I think we should just ignore them. I, I mean, it, it, what, it was 40, 60 people? I, I can find that many people downtown protesting on, on any given week about something.
2: That's true and that you know I I kind of had a thought like this is a small thing it was obviously just an attention grab, but I feel a little torn on that because i I don't like giving Spencer the organizer attention because that is what fuels him that's what that's what makes him happy but simultaneously, I don't want to live in a world where this is just Normal. This is like the the background Nazi noise that we've all tuned out. I
0: mean, you could try and discredit them in the way they usually discredit liberal protesters, which is refer to them as people in Halloween costumes.
1: Yeah, ignoring it seems like the right thing to do strategically. But you're right. Like over time, is it just oh, we, now there's a there's a weekly um, torchlight protest, you know? And it is, the 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 images from the first night in Charlottesville of the tiki torches, um, you know, that lighting is so ominous. Um, and it was so widely condemned. I mean, though, though that was um, called out as being, you know, either the term Nazi or white supremacist. Um, the things they were chanting were, you know, against anti-Jew, um, and and that was widely condemned by conservatives. And so to, to to repeat that and not to to repeat that not in a more mainstream version of their views, but to do it ex- sort of exactly the same, the same imagery, the torches, um, the monument, the the chants are completely over the line um, is very intentional. Uh, They're not trying to to soften their message. They're trying to poke someone to get a reaction.
2: So I'm still stuck. (laughs) I'm clearly being trolled. I don't know the right way to respond.
0: Well, so whenever I look at this, I try and look at what is it they're trying to accomplish. Well, they're trying to become more visible. They're trying to get attention and they're trying to uh, draw energy towards that or against against it. So it seems like the best way to deal with it is to deny them that, to deny them that attention. Because then if there's no cameras pointed at them and no one's paying attention, then it really is a bunch of grown men dressing up in white costumes, marching around with tiki torches. Yeah, it's tough.
2: Moving along overseas, uh, Catalonia was last an independent country in the 12th century before they were absorbed into the kingdom of Aragon. Uh, in the early 20th century, there was uh, beginnings of a independence movement. They achieved some regional autonomy that went away during the Franco-Catholic authoritarianism years. And uh, since the 70s, they've become a bit more independent, like a number of Spanish states. And uh, uh, the, just last weekend, uh, they held an independence referendum to explore uh, becoming a new country. It was... Uh, declared illegal by the Spanish government and s- triggered a heavy crackdown by uh, the federal police. More than 800 people were injured. Uh, ballot boxes were seized. In the run-up to it we saw the Spanish government seize the Catalan Internet domain name system which is the .cat .cat uh, top-level domain. Uh, it, uh, they, the Spanish government ordered Google to remove an app that helped people find their polling place. It was really quite dramatic and shocking, the amount of reaction from the Spanish government, but they've also, for many years, had to deal with uh, the Basque separatist movement, uh, also in the northeast of Spain that uh, uh, led to many years fighting ETA, the terrorist group. Do you guys follow that at all?
0: I, I found it to be really disheartening. Is it, uh, uh, on surface level, like... If a group of people get together and they want to hold a re- referendum and they want to be autonomous, that's supposed to be what democracy is about. That's supposed to be choice. That's, that's determinism. Uh, and this felt like a harsh knee-jerk reaction to people trying to decide whether they wanted to be independent or not. It would be like if when Brexit occurred, if Germany and the UK had gotten together and crushed down on England. It just seems wrong.
1: Vote. I mean, it, it compares to similar efforts in Quebec or even Puerto Rico where the citizens are voting to say this is our intention, but the vote doesn't necessarily mean that the separation is going to happen. Um, but for the Spanish government must have it, it took such an extreme reaction. Like the outcome of this wasn't binding, but the signal it would, it would have sent if it was overwhelming would be hard to um, ignore. I, I think a lot of people – this We were saying, oh, Spain? I didn't know they were so unstable. Right.
0: They seemed like a a nice little European country. And what is Spain's government saying by doing this? You shouldn't have a choice in in what, what government you are. You shouldn't have this political power. And you really shouldn't be expressing these views is kind of what they're saying by cracking down. And I think that's what I find to be so disheartening about this.
2: Yeah, and the end result? With 43% turnout, 90% voted in favor of pursuing independence. That's 43%, you know, does not include, of course, the ballot boxes that were seized and the votes that were uh, taken and destroyed by the government. Uh, it's, you know, turnout was still very low, and that's a good reminder to everybody that protest <coughs> protest voting or protest not voting is never a good idea. <laughs> if you If you don't like what's on the ballot you have to vote anyway.
0: Even if you turn in a ballot that does not have boxes checked, that still adds your population to it, and it it has a real impact, even if you don't check any boxes. Yeah, because the the yes votes
2: need to count
0: that as the divisor.
2: And also, uh, uh, more than 300,000 attended a rally in Barcelona uh, just this weekend uh, to rally against the separatist movement and to say they want to keep as a part of Spain, and I hope that that's an indication that the violence is past.
0: So I saw actually a really interesting picture that showed uh, it, it showed the police coming in to crack down, and it showed a line of firefighters that were protecting protesters. And I was trying to imagine something like that happening in the U.S., where you might have uh, the police trying to crack down and a group of local, basically informal law enforcement protecting protesters. That seemed like something I would never see in the U.S. Different branches of public officials sort of against you.
1: Well, I I imagine there's some sort of different jurisdiction. It's not just police and firefighters, but like, oh, it's the city uh, police force, but it's the regional firefighting force. Something like that might draw Mm -hmm. those lines also.
2: Well, we we in this country we did see kind of a counter version of that in the uh, integration of schools during where the, the civil f- rights mm-hmm. era,
0: where the federal marshals were protecting the uh, the integrate the integration students and the uh, the local police were trying to crack down on it.
2: Right. So, uh, yeah, mm. that not not without precedent completely here, but uh, uh, again, hope they hope the violence is passed there and uh, uh, they they get to a. Better solution, and really, it the the most damning and discouraging thing to me was the crackdown on communications and you know seizing the domain names. And Spain already has the infrastructure to block websites because of piracy, so all they had to do was uh, change the targeting on that. So now instead of just blocking the Pirate Bay and others, now we're also blocking political sites. Which I know which every time somebody starts talking about forcing ISPs to block certain sites people like me get a little nuts saying that's not all they're going to do this is the proof of that this is what happens how did google handle the request to take down that app google complied because it was you know a lawful directive of the spanish government wow yeah troubling uh, a couple thousand miles away uh, the northern iraq uh, kurds voted More than 92% yes for independence on September 25th. Their turnout was 72%. Uh, This is a lot more complicated because you have the Iraqi Kurdish areas and the Syrian Kurdish areas and the Turkish Kurdish areas and the Iranian Kurdish areas that are all generally connected. Most of them are generally connected uh, geographically, even if they're not in the same country. And all of those countries' governments – have really strong feelings against Kurdish independence because they've all been at some point or another in conflict with their Kurdish populations. Uh, Most recently and most dramatically, of course, uh, the war in Syria, the American-backed Syrian Democratic Forces have made large territorial gains with the air support from the American coalition. Uh, Turkey has been fighting a war against the uh, PKK, which uh, is internationally designated a terrorist group. So where, what side of the border you're on, even if you're ethnically a Kurdish person, determines whether or not you're a terrorist according to the United States. It's and a very complicated situation.
0: And from what I understand, some of the frontline soldiers against ISIS have actually been the Kurdish independence group mm-hmm. uh, because they were, they're were they some of the most anti, um, anti-extremist uh, groups. And uh, again, great. There's different shades and flavors of democracy and determinism in the Middle East, but uh, the Kurdish groups seem to be some of the more, um, the ones more interested in a representative government.
2: Yeah. And they, you know, the Iraqi Kurdish population has been generally pro American, you know, uh, because after the Gulf War. They were protected by no-fly zones that the United States had set up, and they were significantly less devastated by the U.S. invasion. Um, But we're seeing some kind of scary things kind of happening in the general region. There's already been uh, clashes between Kurdish militia groups and uh, Iranian forces. And one of Saddam Hussein's policies, like many dictators who have diverse populations was Arabization of the Kurdish region where he was moving in a lot of uh, uh, people from other parts of Iraq and forcing Kurdish people to move elsewhere. He saw the same thing in uh, um, uh, Turkey after their revolution and in independence with the Armenians. Uh, you saw the same thing under the Soviet Union with uh, taking ethnic, Ukrainian people, sending them east of the Ural Mountains and replacing them with uh, ethnic Russian people. And so now, even the people in this Kurdish region are not entirely Kurdish people. There are Arabs who are potentially going to lose out uh, in in the face of this. So it's a very complicated situation. The countries lining up are just kind of astounding. You have Israel deeply in support because this
0: it's it's one of the the few I'm not going to say pro-Israel groups, but the less hostile towards Israel.
2: And it you know antagonizes their enemies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Saudi Arabia is generally in favor because it antagonizes Iran. Uh.
0: <laughs> but but the idea that you could get uh, four countries to basically give up a section of their country in order for an independent country is kind of a it, it takes a lot of political will.
2: And as as tempting as it is, these this is not homogenous groups is more than 100 different tribes who are all very different, have different, you know, policies and ideologies. and
0: But seem to be on the same page when it comes to Kurdish uh, because the referendum was pretty clear and had a very high participation. So even though they are, they do seem to be a diverse population. They
2: seem to agree on one thing. <laughs> very true. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back after this.
1: You love KMRE Community Radio and you love to eat. This Tuesday, October 10th, you can do one for the other. That's right. Come down to Casa K Pasa and order a Jumbo Potato Burrito. For every Jumbo Potato Burrito sold on Tuesday, October 10th, Casa K Pasa will make a donation to KMRE. Not only that, they will match any in-house donations up to $200. So come on down. Eat a Jumbo Potato Burrito for a good cause. KMRE, your community. Your voice, your station.
2: My name's Michael Park, and every week on the International Americana Music Show, I'll be playing a selection of the best Americana music made solely by non-American artists. Whether it's alt-country from Australia, Newgrass from Norway, or singer-songwriters from South Africa, there'll be music and interviews with Americana artists from a lot of countries that may surprise you. So join me every week for an hour-long musical trip across countries and continents on the International Americana Music Show.
1: International Americana, Fridays at 8 p.m. and Wednesdays at 10 p.m. on KMRE
2: 102.3 FM. This is Tim Johnson, editor of Cascadia Weekly. You're listening to KMRE 102.3 FM in Bellingham. Your community, your voice, your station. Welcome back to the American Carnage Report here on KMRE 102.3 and KMRE.org. I'm Dave Willingham, joined by Devlin Sweeney and Mike Estes. And uh, I want to take a Uh, Look, now we're almost at uh, ACA enrollment time, and it's time to check in and see how that's going. Mike?
1: A couple stories this week um, about things the uh, Trump administration is is doing or not doing. Um, I think we're on the cusp of, uh, I anticipate hearing a lot about this over the next um, six weeks or so as the enrollment period. Opens and um, we're going to be hearing about rates being set. Um, you know, it's on a state by state basis. Rates are going up by this much um, here and there. Um, I, th- I th- foresee it being really bad this year. The r- the rates are going to go up a lot. Um, a lot of uncertainty um, for the insurance companies. In- is Obamacare? Uh, are the exchanges continuing? Is this program going to be here a year from now? Um, all that in, in instability. And I would say intentional instability. You know, the the Trump administration is, wants to put this in a downward spiral, and they, they are. Um, you know, we've talked about a number of things they're doing. Not, not paying. They're not going to be doing as much um, advertising. They're not helping groups um, do sign up promotions. There's part of the ACA is, is giving grants to to nonprofit groups to sort of set up booths and and have people um, help with sign up. And so if if sign up numbers are down, that means the insurance companies just can't get there with the scale um, to make the premiums cover costs and it's it's that's the spiral is is less so,
0: enrollment higher costs repeat repeat and it, it goes contrary to the idea of obamacare uh, the affordable health care act ran on the premise of if we get more people insured yep. then the pool is larger and we can bring premiums down overall yep. so so seeing these pools shrink in size raises premiums for everyone
1: yeah and then the i mean one of the f- where we're sitting now with the Republican administration, which was probably not anticipated as part of the ACA, um, there's an obvious flaw here in that the ACA needs a lot of propping up and help to really work as intended. And that that's a legitimate flaw that you need to put in advertising dollars. You need to kind of help usher people into the system or else it doesn't work as intended. And obviously just through simple inaction, the Trump administration can um, cause negative effects there. Um, There was also a big story this week about, um, Iowa, their um, insurance commissioners were um, asking the Trump administration for a waiver, and it's part of the ACA that you can sort. If you can say we want to run our, ex- we want to not have an exchange, we want to do this other thing, and we're gonna pr- we're gonna demonstrate that it will achieve the same net effect. Well, so mm-hmm. the, Iowa wanted to do a Republican style um, thing. So instead of an exchange with subsidies or with tax credits and sort of a, a high risk pool and whatever, and it, and if they put a lot of thought into it and can demonstrate that it would work, um, even the Obama administration would grant these waivers. So Iowa was acting in good faith, trying to do it their way, um, and and doing it from a kind of a conservative angle. And it's, uh, Trump saw an article about this in I think the um, Wall Street Journal and called up the administrator in charge of approving these requests and said, shut it down. And, and um, so beyond just neglect and and defunding, there's, there's like, A conservative state wanted to do the right thing and try and make their exchange work because they didn't
0: want their people to hurt, and and Trump wouldn't have it because he simply wants it to fail. And an example of that uh, working is actually under the Obama administration. Kentucky tweaked their rules and and made a more conservative marketplace version of Obamacare. On the other side, of the spectrum Vermont set up almost single payer Mm -hmm. for Vermont uh, using within the laws of Obamacare. So that provision was kind of designed to allow flexibility, but also allow experimentation on a state level.
1: Yeah. Um, and the, the last thread on ACA, um, Trump is, is threatening slash promising to do an executive order this coming week. Uh, he's been working uh, with uh, Senator Rand Paul. Um, it centers around letting people... Um, Form association groups to buy insurance, and it, it moves hmm. towards the goal of towards their goal of letting people uh, buy insurance across state lines, which is one of the big Republican talking points. Um, seems to have some advantages, but um, lots of groups are opposed to the idea, including uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield and um, the association group of, the, of all state. Um, insurance commissioners was uh, is opposed to this idea. And uh, so, so supposedly you can, with this concept, you can buy a, gr- a group of plumbers or a, a trade group or web designers could get together, um, you know, sort of independent um, freelance professional types can band together and form their own group to buy insurance. Seems like a good thing. Um, but what it what it allows is those groups can sort of somehow, and I didn't quite understand this part, bypass the traditional state level um, consumer protection rules. Um, I don't think they can bypass like what's required to be covered and all that. That's still part of the ACA and they can't get around that. But there's some other state level protections that they can get around. So theoretically, making insurance cheaper for those industry groups um, by not having to deal with some regulations. Um, The other worry is that um, a group of healthy professionals gets together to do this association thing and it just leaves the standard pools um, on average full of Less healthy people because you're we're we're getting a great rate as um as this group of independent lawyers, but they all happen to be pretty healthy people. So that maybe why they're getting a good rate. Um, but it's it's interesting to me to see that it's a fairly complex, wonky, um, healthcare change. It's it's a it's a one bullet point, whereas the yeah. the the health reform that the Senate and House was trying to do was a, a dozen bullet points. So if if Trump manages to pull off this one bullet point of pretty Wonky, heady changes. Um, for all of its pluses and minuses, it's actually an interesting sign of some serious um, <laughs> legislative or not legislative, executive order, but some serious policy changes happening with an executive order.
0: And and I like the idea of piecemealing it, and the idea of getting away from your healthcare being tied to your employment. Uh, because I think that that is uh, something that's been a boat anchor on most healthcare policy is the fact that I have to link my healthcare to where I'm employed means that I will forever uh, be that will forever be affecting the, my decisions associated with my employment if I'm anchored to this healthcare plan. Whereas allowing you to buy through an organization while might be damaging from a regulation or from uh, avoiding state uh, rules, it is kind of a positive idea that. Uh, let's say the NRA could start providing healthcare. It's a huge organization that a whole lot of people are members of. You know, you can find these organizations that are huge that have a lot of people who have a lot in common, and the idea to start issuing healthcare through that is kind of an interesting idea. It might provide competition. But it's it, I think it runs
1: counter to the original intent of Obamacare in that one of the appealing things about Obamacare to me was you as an individual or as a, as, a, as a freelance person, you could buy in on the state exchange sort of getting a group rate like and, and, and be a part of that benefit that usually businesses are exclusive to. So before ACA, uh, businesses, 20 people, 100 people, 10,000 people, you got a better rate the bigger your group was. If you were an individual just talking to group health, you didn't get that benefit. And, and now with the exchanges, you sort of get that benefit of group buying power. Um, everyone in the state who's on the exchange gets that benefit. And so um, it feel, the, the association thing feels a little bit like, okay, we're gonna kind of move away from that group benefit um, at the state level and just be like, if you're part of a, a, an industry group, you get the benefit. But if you're not, mm. you need to find some more friends in order to get that benefit. It fractures it kind of more yeah. than it used to be. Okay. So you're going to have more more halves if you're in this group, but also more mm. not halves.
2: Yeah, because the, the, the core principle there is to amortize the risk across a broad enough pool so that the average member is generally healthy and productive and paying into it. What
1: if you just put... Everyone in one big pool.
0: Oh, no, that,
2: that's single payer. We, we're not allowed to talk about that. <laughs> so uh, enrollment starts November 1st. If they're not paying for navigators and they're not keeping the website on 24-7 for some reason, are we going to see a massive fall off in people signing up?
1: Well, you're, it's going to be state by state. So Washington, Washington runs its own website. Um, the Washington State Insurance Commissioner is in charge of a lot of that. Um, so our website is going to work great here. Washington, you might see Ensley out doing some promos or something, but the, fu- the funding is not going to be there. So Washington State either needs to make up that funding on its own or try and get some more organic. Uh, there's kind of a, a movement on Twitter to just like, hey, all, let's volunteer to like do a bunch of promotion about this and raise the signal of like, hey, just – Talk about amongst your friends that the exchanges are open, and, and try and counter that. Um, maybe, but again, other states that are using the states that didn't um, set up their own website just use the national website, and so that's Texas, for those example. Those tend to be states that didn't expand Medicaid and don't have, don't want to see a higher uh, turnout rate. So your your red states are going to probably have lower numbers, probably worse rates et cetera. Like the spiral is going to get worse in those states. Whereas
0: Washington might fare better. Which, which is why this makes no sense to me because in, in my head, Trump took an action that le- sabotaged the states that are most likely to support <laughs> him. Why? That's a common term. Like we talked about with the tax reform, it,
1: the tax reform as originally proposed, which we'll probably see more of didn't really target Trump's base uh, as, as the people who benefit. It's odd.
2: It's a, and, and, uh, uh, I have to say that the navigator program for the Affordable Care Act was, I think, one of the better parts of the bill because you had this giant amorphous thing that was very complicated. And you, there were going to be rollout problems. I don't think anybody foresaw exactly the How scope bad. of that. Yeah, But there were going to be problems with that. And setting up in advance, we're going to have people that are trained up that can just sit down with yep. people and walk through the website with them and get them enrolled. For a, you know, government program, that was a really good idea. Yeah. And in hindsight,
1: especially because in 2010, it turns out the federal government wasn't very good at setting up large websites that
0: a lot of people needed to use. <laughs> which, uh, you know, anyone who's worked with gov- large government websites, I think was already aware of that. But for the rest of the populace, I think that was a
1: shock. Yeah. They, they eventually got it right. And then and the, by the end of the Obama administration, there was sort of a little elite squad of, of, of a tech unit. They, they poached some Silicon Valley types, and they actually got pretty good at making little website appy things that they could do in a quick order
0: that were that were that worked well and were reliable. And I was hoping that they were going to keep that momentum going. Like, I, I'm looking at you, IRS. There's a great opportunity for uh, a, a one-stop shop website that would handle most of your problems. And they could have like rolled through DSHS and all of these other mm-hmm. large government entities that... Badly need an IT upgrade. Yeah. Medicaid
1: requires <laughs> caring about improving the system, and that's something we don't have right now.
2: Yeah, that that, that has never been a criteria for uh, leadership in American politics. Uh, speaking. Speaking of criteria for uh, uh, engaging in politics, uh, Pennsylvania Representative Tim Murphy has resigned, announced that he wouldn't run for re-election, and then later in the week resigned outright from Congress. He's been serving since 2002, and in the last couple of elections ran totally unopposed. Uh, The uh, allegations of poor treatment of his congressional staff, including a 100% turnover, which is not McDonald's level, but not great. And the revelation that he pressured the woman he was having an affair with to terminate her pregnancy just proved to be too much. Do you guys follow that? What
1: was the last vote he took right before resigning?
2: That's an interesting question, and <laughs> you know, it's it it some something about twenty weeks abortion ban something in that neighborhood
1: this this feels like uh the scandals of of a decade ago where you had k- kind of like they came in threes like a ma- older male senator having an incident in a bathroom at the airport um, or,
0: or uh, spitzer cracking down on prostitution and then getting caught with prostitutes and then like.
1: there there was a whole thread of um financial corruption in you know Indi- indian casino trade groups um uh what was that guy's name um Oh god! Um, but there was there was a there was a series of, of Republican operatives that kind of had wound up in campaign finance, fiscal issues. Some of them went to jail. Um, so I'm I'm wondering now with 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 Congress um, getting more bold on sort of stripping away abortion rights or birth control and these other things, um, and then immediately having a scandal related to a, a congressman um, <laughs> having to do with abortion. Uh, is this gonna? Are we gonna see a couple of these now? <laughs> well,
0: it, it makes you wonder, like, how many other of our representatives are inauthentic in their views? Because clearly, this is not a view that he held personally.
2: <laughs> well, and that's uh, part of part of the abortion debate has always been steeped in this hypocrisy. You know, the the um, wealthy class has never had a problem with abortion, and. It's always been about preventing other people from doing it. And I'm sure there are some true believers out there. I honestly believe that Jeff Sessions has never seriously considered that uh, as, a, as a real possibility in his life. But
1: Well, Jeff Sessions also would never have – like, he's a man. Like, people around <laughs> yeah. him without his knowledge have probably had to seriously consider that. Almost certainly. Relatives and family members. Mm-hmm. But he, he doesn't even have the burden of having to have known that.
2: Yeah. So I think – the whole the whole debate is fundamentally hypocritical. It's people have been having uh, people have been managing their uh, uh, have been doing birth control and having abortions for centuries. It is not a new thing. It's not a thing. It, but it's it just, might be
1: something where you had to you had to fly to the right location, or maybe what? in a different country, maybe in a different state, or, or or before flying, it was some some other form of travel to like there's the the king's good doctor will be really quiet about this.
2: Yeah, and or you know, taking a break from boarding school, or you know, what, whatever form it took. Uh, there's, it's, it's always been, it's always been cynical, and it's always been really kind of sad because this is something where the end results of this cynical policy have real dire consequences for people, and really, I think that a lot of the people who are pushing it again just don't care.
0: And, and I guess that that was the frustrating thing is I, I don't have a problem with people's views, but I, I have a problem with the hypocrisy where you're believing one thing and you're voting for another. That's what I found to be so wrong about this. I mean, I, you have to assume that there's a fair number of
1: elected Republicans that they're they're passionate about one or two planks of the core Republican stuff. Maybe that's lower taxes, lower regulation. For others, they're probably truly very concerned about abortion. Um, but you like um people like Tim Murphy, I would have to put a guess are in the camp of more interested in business and regulation reform and just toe the party line on these um, social conservative issues. And that there's, I mean, but, it, but it's, it's interesting to think, at what point does does their lock on gun control or their lock on abortion um, issues um, start to fragment if you're like, wait, two-thirds of our caucus doesn't actually care about this? We're all just towing the line? Wait, why, why is this our, our central <laughs> plank then? Uh,
0: or or just the idea that, like, you'd be giving... Because I've I've seen speeches from Murphy where he gave impassionate speeches about this and knowing that he didn't believe, he didn't back it up. And then when he was pressured about it, the line he gave was that his staff wrote the speech for him.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, this, this gets back to what, what we talked about at the top of the hour, which, you know, some things have just become background noise. And things like this fundamental cynicism in our politics... Um the what what just popped into my head was when President Obama unveiled his stimulus package. Mm-hmm. He said, Here you go, this is a moderate proposal that we have slavered over to make sure that this is only targeted worthwhile things and a group a bipartisan group of members of Congress got together and said, We're going to cut, and I don't remember what, but some number of dollars from this not because they thought it was wasteful spending, not because they had an argument against that spending, but they just wanted to say that they had done that. And that's infuriating, but that's just par for the course. And I think this is in that same vein. It's just giving speeches condemning abortion is just what they do. You know, I honestly don't think uh, many Republican members of Congress think Muslims are all universally terrible. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I I don't think that. But they're gonna vote like they think that, because that's just what they do.
0: Well, maybe uh, Murphy's replacement will have a slightly different take on this.
2: Uh, un unlikely, you know. The Pennsylvania 18th uh, went uh, went for Trump, 58 to 38. Mitt Romney, 58 to 41. But we'll see. There's already a couple of Democratic candidates who said they wanted to run against him, uh, but. Uh, in a special election to replace him, the party, the Democratic Party, will have a convention. I'm not sure how the Republican Party will pick their candidate, but they'll pick one and uh, set them up to run for the rest of rest of this term. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. At Resources,
1: we promote sustainable communities and protect the health of Northwestern Washington's people and ecosystems using science, education, advocacy, and action. We have launched a new project called Washington Goes Solar to help homeowners and businesses learn about current incentives for home and business solar arrays. More information is available on this project and others at re-sources.org.
0: Community to Community Development is your local grassroots organization led by women, people of color and farm workers.
1: Comunidad a comunidad es su organización local de base que es liderada por mujeres, personas de color y campesinos.
0: If you care about the food that you eat and having a fair and sustainable food system, you should partner with us.
1: Si le importa la comida que comemos y quiere mejorar el sistema alimentario, debería juntarse con nosotros.
0: You can call us at 360-738-0893, or you can find us on the Facebook.
1: Puede comunicarse con nosotros por teléfono 360-738-0893, o encontrarnos en nuestra página de Facebook. Become a part of the Spark Radio family, and be a part of the listener-supported Independent Community Radio, We need your help to share community voices throughout Whatcom County, and every little bit helps. Donate today at
0: www.kmre.org.
2: Welcome back to the American Carnage Report. I'm Dave Willingham here on KMRE Mm 102.3 FM Bellingham, joined by Mike Estes and Devlin Sweeney. And Devlin, you got some news for us on California's presidential primary. Yeah,
0: so presidential primaries are usually determined by the national party. They they pick the dates, and then each state picks a date for when it is, but there's been, since almost inception, there's almost been this Uh, past practice that uh, Iowa, then New Hampshire, then South Carolina, then a whole bunch of block of states go. Super Tuesday. Super Tuesday. And this is especially important because so much of our politics is about the momentum of the candidate. So if someone does well in Iowa and they do well in New Hampshire, they tend to run the table from then on out. Uh, So this is why California's announcement last a uh, couple weeks ago that they were moving up their primary to be just behind South Carolina makes so much of a difference. California, having such a high population, it controls a little less than two-fifths of the country's primary votes. So moving to be uh, fourth in line means that, effectively, if you can do very well in California, you can run the table.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the small... Eastern states that um, traditionally have been the early primary states um, are, if not conservative, they're, they're very much an older flavor, like, well, I mean, Iowa, like you see people talking about farming a lot uh, in the early um, primary campaigning. And um, there's not much focus on, on your sort of coastal, um, higher population cities, more urban areas. There's not a lot of discussion of those issues because those states don't come up with early on, and often it's a foregone conclusion by the time they do. And so, um, you know, it, it's very frustrating for me watching presidential politics because they're talking about corn oil, corn and farm bills and, um, you know, you, you see, you saw some efforts this manufacturing time Manufacturing
0: jobs that were geared towards states that, that aren't us. I mean, yeah. we're, we're out here with the tech jobs. <laughs> and they, they bumped up Nevada to try and help address that, but it never seemed like it was enough. And also I would argue that We have more in common with Colorado, Oregon, and California than we do with Nevada. I mean, the the demographic trend lines projected out into the next few decades that indicate
1: more people are going to be living in cities, like we're going to be living in in denser urban areas. I mean, people will always live in rural areas, but but numbers wise, like we need to figure out the future of our country in terms of like urban transportation, like high speed rail, autonomous cars. Biking and walking around cities, like how, how tall are buildings? Like where, where are job centers? Are they in the suburbs? Are they downtown? Um, and like, if those issues can get talked about at the federal level, like earlier on, um, I think that just sets the tone of of what we're looking for in candidates. I think it'd be a good thing.
2: Yeah, and it, I'm going to go ahead and disqualify myself from ever being remotely associated with a presidential campaign, and just say having Iowa and New Hampshire right off the bat is really bad for our system. You know, both are states with really fairly n- narrow uh, uh, issue ranges. Both of them have a lot of things that are really important to everyone in the country. But what the politics becomes about is ethanol subsidies. Yeah. And uh, um, that's, that's not good for us. And I think there's a strong argument to be made that if Iowa wasn't first, you wouldn't get all the candidates showing up there. They wouldn't bother, you know. They wouldn't all be at the state fair, and they wouldn't all be at the diners. But
0: you you know that a candidate is running for president when they start taking book tours in Iowa,
2: right? You know that that's a convenient little hint, but uh, uh, I can't imagine the country would be worst served if we just made the first couple states, you know, random draw every year. Or, or we it up,
0: s- or we set it on a rotation. I saw one plan that was uh, you break the country into six regions right, you know, the West, the South, you know, you break it into six regions, you pick one state from each region, and you put it into a block, and then you rotate. So every single, every single season, uh, you have one of each region, and you do it in six blocks. And that would ensure that, okay, maybe you're not first this time, but your issues come up 20 years from now.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the other problem is with the Electoral College every every year, every four years, it's kind of like, oh, well, we know these three states or these seven states or, or this very small handful of states are going to be the key deciding swing states, whether that's Pennsylvania, Ohio, Florida, sometimes Colorado, Nevada. No one saw it coming. Wisconsin, Michigan. Um, but you never see candidates campaigning much in, in Washington or Oregon or California or, or these big or New York, even mm-hmm. um, these big populists blue states where a lot of people live, a lot of big companies are based, a lot of, um, Ideas and innovation happens, but candidates don't spend a lot of time there. They come out to fundraise. So every year there's a, <laughs> there's fundraisers in Seattle, that you know Bill Gates' house or the, the the founder of Costco or or whatever it is, and there's huge fundraisers in California. But there's not a lot of campaigning with the people in those states. They're they're written off as foregone conclusions, um, and California and Washington are a foregone conclusion for a presidential candidate. But what also happened is Michigan and Wisconsin were written off as foregone blue collar blue states and no campaigning happened there. I'm sure there was fundraisers there, um, and, and we missed a big boat there. By, like if, if it was just a popular vote uh, for president, you'd have to campaign everywhere. Um, and that because you write off certain states, that was like the fatal Achilles heel in the Clinton campaign was, was taking for granted um, that a state would be blue.
0: Another effect that uh, California moving up is California breaks up by proportional voting which means that uh, so typically by the time large states that do proportional voting vote, you're down to two or three candidates, which makes contested can- uh, contested uh, conventions almost impossible. But if you had California right off the bat when there was still six or seven viable candidates, you could see a situation where all of them hold a portion of the delegates, which might make it harder for one candidate to break 50% of the delegates. So moving up California actually Diversifies uh, the power of the candidates.
2: Hmm. Interesting. Unless, and totally hypothetically, California has one strong, charismatic person who, as the hometown person, can sweep up a lot of those folks. Look, Arnold can't run for president. He's not. <laughs> he wasn't born here.
0: So, so you're referring to Senator Harris.
2: I'm. I'm not directly referring to sen- Senator Harris, but someone who you know fits that exact demographic profile might. See that outcome?
0: So uh, another conclusion to draw from this is actually the uh, the DNC and uh, California leaning on the scale trying to benefit their pick for president. So we've seen Harris already doing some large fundraising, and you've seen this now feels like shifting her home state to be earlier in the process is definitely kind of giving an advantage to a candidate, which I thought the DNC might have learned its lesson that it's not a productive thing to weigh in on one candidate versus others.
2: Yeah, I, I've got a Google alert for DNC learned its lesson, and it has yet to go off. <laughs> I, I, I don't think that I don't, I don't think that's a likely scenario in any circumstances here, Devlin. Uh, uh, you know, I, I kind of wonder with uh, um, you know with what you were saying, Mike. You know, in the last uh, presidential race, we here in Whatcom County got one. Candidate rally, mm-hmm. and that was you know then candidate Trump coming to visit. Uh, I don't recall a presidential candidate making it this far north in Washington, other than that. Uh, Trump also did Everett,
1: and I can't I can't Everett. think of anyone else coming as far north as Everett.
2: Barack Obama did an event in Everett. In 2012, I believe, because okay. I know
0: I know he did a number in Seattle, you know, mm-hmm. selling out Key Arena type events. De- Dennis Krusinage, I thought, came out here at one po- or came around here at one point.
2: I, I I'm sorry, who? <laughs> <laughs>
1: so I was, I was I was reading an article about um, Cambridge Analytica, the the company that provided a lot of data analytics for the Trump campaign, uh, in the context of the Facebook ads and um, not the Russian Facebook ads, but the the actual Trump campaign in house in the last two weeks of the election. They ran a bunch of targeted, um, what are called dark ads. So, if like, if you go, to, sometimes you see an ad on Facebook, uh, and you, if you go to that company's Facebook page, you can't actually see that post. It's not a public post in their feed. It's only an ad. So, if you are like, only men between eighteen and thirty-five should see this ad, and if you're not in that demographic, you just can't find it. And so, only people you want to see that material see it. Um, so, they, the they, the Trump campaign ran a bunch of voter suppression ads targeted African-Americans with, like, really nasty um, videos of, like, they took Hillary clips and, and made it, you know, made uh, amped up her saying something um, that po- they positioned as, as racist and sort of depressing. They the targeted s- women, young women specifically, older su- women specifically.
0: You're referring to the super predator uh, yeah. comments where yeah. uh, Hillary Clinton was uh, referring to the crime bill that Bill Clinton was trying to pass at the time and referred to African-Americans as super predators.
1: So they, they, they really successfully – drove down turnout in these key areas in those key states. Um, but the, the point I was getting to is, um, part of this article talked about the targeting they used and how specific and pinpoint it was through the power of Facebook. They gathered all this data and they used they used this data-driven process to decide where to go and have rallies. And so Lyndon was picked, not by some campaign staffer, by a computer algorithm, because uh, Trump they they saw a high concentration of Trump based people and people who could magnify their message online and so a lot of people in Linden probably um, that are on uh, uh, on the right that are the Trump supporters Republican um, leaning their Facebook network is national and they they share things in the right circles and so um, getting ten thousand people really excited about Trump in Linden. At the time, I mean, I went there to protest. It seemed weird. Why, why go to Why go to Washington? Why go to Whatcom County as Trump? You're not going to win Washington State. This seems like a waste of resources. But it actually wasn't a waste of resources. in that magnifying effect, those people are friends with people in other states. Getting those, their relatives in, in, a, in a red state on board with Trump comes from being at a, a rally in Linden. And that's why they did lots of small towns in Wisconsin and Michigan, and it was all data-driven. It seemed insane at the time, this, this, this is nonsense. Why is he going to Linden? But it was data-driven.
0: Also, it makes a nice story, which, uh, you know, Trump, Trump is also a cult of personality. It's all about making making the story. So the idea of kind of going into this small town that's been <laughs> written off and standing up for the little guy, like, it, it makes for a really good news article. Yeah. It was the same. Man r- of the people. Yeah. Uh, Patty Murray was actually known for doing this in Washington, where she would uh, especially go along the coastal cities, swim. Uh, uh, squim. Uh, Port Townsend, these kind of smaller towns on Washington and stop in just because it, it made a wonderful story to be like, oh, you met your senator who came yeah. down to this podunk
2: town. Yeah. So you're telling me the campaign that forgot to pay to keep campaign offices open did not bother with basic things like yard signs and stuff during the primaries was actually pulling off some crazy next-gen <laughs> campaign strategy? I mean,
1: I... Before 2016, I would have said investing in Facebook and online campaign tactics was not a, a way to go. And I, I, I still think for a local candidate, it's not. Um, Trump, Trump's team blew it out of the water and was very successful in online campaigning, which no one had been before, really. People had been successful in fundraising. Obama was very successful fundraising online, and others have done that. Trump was also very successful fundraising online. Most of his donations came from small people online. Um, but he's the first person to do... Um, really successful online campaigning and it wasn't there were some elements of convincing voters to be on his side or just um, reaffirming his base but where they were really successful is in depressing very specific voter turnout
2: fascinating
0: which that election did have one of the lowest turnouts (laughs) in, in recent history
1: yeah, the Democratic turnout in, in key, very specific states relative to Obama's performance was sharply down, but only in very specific areas within specific demographics.
2: So, given that, and given the the capability and uh, obvious efficacy of that, or at least apparent efficacy of that, what's the counter strategy? Well, I I don't
1: know what the counter strategy from a campaign level is, but there's there's going to be a lot of pressure on Facebook. Um, they're 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 caught up in this Russia stuff. They're caught up in I mean, people are going to be asking for, you need to be transparent about what kind of ads are being run. Like if you, if you run an ad on King five news, the whole state sees it. Everyone knows that Mitt Romney ran this ad on the NBC affiliate with Facebook advertising. That's not the case. You're, you don't even, you, you're as, as the Hillary campaign or as the opponent's campaign, you might not know what advertising your opponent is doing. You can't even see it. And that is a way different paradigm. And and I think there's going to be calls for Facebook to be a, a little more transparent about what what ad is being shown? Who is it being targeted to? You can still do like, these tools are going to be there. Advertisers have these tools. This is the reality of digital advertising. But it needs to be disclosed, just like the camp, like you like the fact that you spent these dollars is disclosed. Like campaign disclosures laws are very strong, are pretty strong um, of how money is spent. But just saying that you spent, you gave five million dollars to Facebook. Okay, but how did how did you target it and what did you show is going to need to be part of that disclosure.
0: So to answer Dave's question, which is how do you counter that, I think uh, Obama and Sanders did a very nice job of countering that. I don't think those tactics would have worked against either of them. And the reason is they had such a strong positive uh, influence in social media. Uh, Every single day during the campaign of Obama and Sanders, I could go online and I could find some grassroots video or some post or some positive article that was written about those people. Uh, that was uh, uplifting. It was showing something positive. They were done. It was some, uh, you know, a bird landing on the stand of Sanders. It was some positive thing that made you feel good. And it made it so that if you ever saw a negative campaign ad, you dismissed it because you went, that's not who that person is. They're they're the kind person who birds land on. (laughs) And – so it was that idea. The Clinton campaign was very controlled in its messaging, and I think they did this to a fault. They restricted information out because they were so scared of negative press.
1: I, I think pe- like, people who supported Hillary, and I, I was among them, uh, it was more of a um, brainy heady. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you supported her for, for, yeah. for, for reasons of the mind. And, <laughs> and with other candidates, with Obama and, and, and Bernie, I think you're right. You supported them more from the heart. You yep. just, you felt a connection, a warmth, a positivity around that, that was um, perhaps even irrational, Sure, but but it was so strong that you're not going to be swayed by some fact or some negative ad. Whereas um, the, the people who were m- maybe not diehard Hillary fans, but wishy-washy could, that w- would, it was not enough to just be like, well, the smart thing to do is probably to vote for that smart lady who's um, done all these things, but... When given a negative counter message, it's enough to say, well, I wasn't that invested, eh, and just not vote. And it wasn't that you needed to switch to Trump. You just needed to say, eh.
0: Right. And I think that that callous calculating intelligence image actually left her vulnerable uh, to that negative campaigning in a way where I feel like – because I I watched uh, uh, the candidates associated with McCain run negative campaign ads against Obama, and it didn't work. Right. I saw them run racist ads. I saw them try and tie him to, look, this scary preacher, and it never worked. He overcame a lot of really negative stuff, and none of it
1: really stuck, and he was able to power through it for a lot of those reasons.
0: And, and I think it was that strong, positive image both on social media and uh, he could speak very well. So I, I think charisma is a, its own protection against uh, negative campaign ads.
2: And they didn't have more than 20 years running negative ads against him by <laughs> they, that They moment. weren't as good at it. Yeah.
0: He, he also liked to hire techies, which I think helped.
2: <laughs> that, that is uh, uh, a tremendously self-serving statement uh, oh, that yes. entirely <laughs> reflects the views of this program. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to take a, just a few minutes left. want to take a minute to note that this has been a uh, – well, it's been a normal week now for uh, – uh, Transgender Americans, the uh, Justice Department under Jeff Sessions has uh, issued a memo that says it no longer considers gender identity as falling under the prohibitions on gender discrimination, uh, reversing Obama-era policy that was instituted shortly after President Obama took office, as well as a growing body of case law. Um, This is very bad, and this is uh, uh, not a directive Yet, but it is a indication of where the Justice Department is going to put its resources, and if it is not defending the rights of uh, transgender Americans in the way it should be, I think that that's uh, that's an indication that we are headed headed into a uh, somewhat darker darker place with that. You know, honestly, the last decade of transgender rights has been one of the most amazing things I have seen in my lifetime. You know, I, I saw the acceptable liberal position on homosexuality go from, well, I'm okay with gay people just as long as you're not gay around me, to if you don't support full equality, you know, get get the heck out of here. Um, but that, that seemed like, even just in my lifetime, that took a tremendous amount of time, and I came, you know, pretty late into the party there, but, you know, the... The transgender rights movement still has a long way to go to get full equality, but uh, it was a, I thought, bright light on how much could be accomplished in a short time when you had a strong and dedicated group, and I hope that uh, the people that got us this far are continuing to fight for it.
0: It always feels like two steps forward, one step back, and that's kind of what this uh, release from the Justice Department felt like, was... Uh, as a population and as a support, we've made it so far. But that doesn't mean that our representation is going to catch up.
2: And on a final note, uh, the Trump administration has indicated that uh, this Tuesday they are announcing that they will no longer certify that Iran is in compliance with the deal that uh, uh, ended sanctions on them from many Western countries in exchange for them giving up their pursuit of nuclear weapons. Uh, This will not have an immediate automatic effects. This is just a certification that is required by Congress. Uh, Congress can, with the decertification, institute new sanctions. The president could trigger sanctions by designated specific Iranian entities or people as uh, 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 being sanctioned uh, or just waive the suspension of the sanctions entirely. Uh, we're going to talk about this more next week. Thank you all for joining us. This is the American Carnage Report on KMRE 102.3 FM and KMRE.org. Our fabulous engineer is Sharon Mannix, And uh, thank you, Devlin. Thank you, Mike, for joining me. We'll be back next week.